1: Well, the Bucks can do no worse than a share of first place in the NC South as the Saints lose, and we'll tell you what is not going right for Bruce Arians' offense so far this season and why Todd Bowles and his defense is having so much success. In college football, the Gators lose Felipe Franks for the season, but quarterback Kyle Trask saves the day and maybe the year against Kentucky. FSU loses again this time to Virginia. And USF has a new quarterback in Jordan McLeod, who had a historic game with five touchdowns and a win over South Carolina State. The Rays take two out of three over the Angels, and they maintain a -a one-and-a-half game lead for the second wild card over Cleveland and are just one-and-a-half games back for the first wild card behind the Oakland A's. We've got all of that and so much more to talk about on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick, Man, Steve, what an interesting weekend of football! Of course, we'll get into the Rays. The Lightning had their fan fest uh, on, I guess Sunday it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's start with uh, sort of the fallout a little bit from the Bucks, and we'll get into, you know, the Saints losing and also Drew Brees injured in that game and could be out for the foreseeable future, maybe even as long as uh, a couple weeks when the Bucks go to New Orleans.
0: Yeah, he's seeing a hand uh, specialist in Los Angeles here on Sunday night. So.
1: Yeah, no, that was that, that. looked bad. He couldn't grip the ball, couldn't pick it up. Teddy Bridgewater uh, tried to finish that game, did finish that game, and, uh, and the Saints lose it and on another blown call as well against New Orleans. So we'll get into all that, but uh, I wanted to start sort of kind of picking up from the Bucks win Thursday night at Carolina, and, uh, boy, a lot of talk about Cam Newton is just getting beat up for, you know, whether he's still got it, whether he's done. Um, a lot of people questioning Cam Newton, not you know, not wanting to run the football, not not running the football, not being accurate with his passes, got the shoulder, the foot, all of that. And so he didn't look healthy. Uh, no, not at all. I didn't think he looked healthy at all. And, and you know, of course, and I talked about this uh, on the Insider Show on, on Sunday morning we would do on WDAE. You know, a lot of people are kind of like, especially in Carolina, questioning, you know, when they had the penalty and it was fourth and one at the two-yard line, why you wouldn't just run Cam on a sneak which has been sort of a signature play for them through the years. First of all, giving it to Christian McCaffrey is never a bad idea, and he had he had been stopped on three other, you know, third and ones, fourth and ones, that sort of thing, um, but they tried to get the perimeter, and they did it with using the Philly special, an adaptation of that where, you know, Cam motioned into the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, and then they took it the to direct snap, and they had a receiver, you know, coming across the formation that had it been the Philly special – you know christian McCaffrey would have handed it to him, and he would have thrown the ball to Cam, but instead he kept it and Vernon Hargraves you know did not move they had he gone in motion with the receiver in man to man coverage, then McCaffrey walks in the end zone. It didn't work out um, and you know it was a huge win for the bucks and you know we're just starting to kind of understand you know how big it was for them because. You know, basically, uh, depending the outcome of this uh, this Atlanta game, as we uh, tape this podcast on Sunday night, as they play the Philadelphia Eagles, which are dropping like flies as far as injuries go, and it looks like Atlanta might might go on to a win there. But, you know, they can be no worse than tied for first place at 1-1 one and one in the NFC South. And who would have thought that, you know, after that Sunday loss to San Francisco, which, by the way, Steve, all of a sudden, the 49ers don't look too bad. Yeah, they... they... The Bengals
0: in Cincinnati, which you've, you've commented, they hadn't won in the Eastern time zone in five years. Now mm-hmm. they've d- done it in back to back weeks to open the season. And Cincinnati, not expected to be a very good team, took Seattle to the wire in Seattle on week one. So, you know, maybe they're not as, you know, San Francisco's a much better team than we think they are. And the NFC West has three teams
1: at 2 and 0 the Seahawks, the Niners, and the Rams. Certainly, you look at that and you say, well, If they can maintain that then the wild card may well come out of there i don't think there's a wild card going to come out of the south i really believe that if you uh don't win the division this year and this has been the case before but if you don't win the division this year in the nfc south you're probably not going to the playoffs that's the only sure way to go anyway um but it seems to me that these teams are going to beat each other up and now we don't know the injury status of of guys like drew Brees, cam newton you know um, is he going to make it through the years a lot of pressure on whether he should continue playing so Uh, It's going to be an interesting season for sure. Um, I think the encouraging thing, maybe, if you're the Bucs, in addition to the defense, which we'll get into, is probably the fact that you really haven't seen this offense in sync yet. Um, You know, they're one and one. They didn't play particularly well the other night in Carolina on offense, to say the least, although Jameis Winston actually could have had a very big day. I thought Brashard, Brashard Perriman, you know, dropped the ball, uh, that went right, kind of right through his hands. I don't even know that he mm-hmm. touched it, but it went right through his hands in the end zone. That looked like a touchdown to me. Uh, you know, you had Mike Evans who got one hand on one that it was a perfectly thrown ball that I've seen him extend and make those catches before. So I thought that was a, a good shot play, you know, for, for Jameis. With a little bit of luck, he has a huge day. But as it was, he played air-free football, which is he's found his way to sort of will himself not to turn the ball over. But there's so much left of Bruce Arian's offense that we haven't seen. And I I wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times. And really, it's the passing game. I mean, a year ago, with Dirk Cutter as their head coach and Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator, they led the NFL in passing. Now, some of that is because you're behind in games. you got to throw a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all part of it. But 320.3 yards per game. So far, they're 25th in the league. Um, They're averaging under 200 yards a game at 181.5. And and there's there's plenty of reasons for, you know, why that is. I mean, I think the new system, the first mm-hmm. that Winston's had to learn since as a rookie and his receivers are sort of not totally on the on the same page and you know, we always do this, we say, well, why is this guy involved? Why is not that? Well, there's always there's only just one football, right? They're running the ball more and more successfully, so that takes away I think some that's of the a big part of it that they I actually have
0: a running game and you know, Dirk pretty
1: much abandoned the running game because they'd had he he did. He did. He, uh, he did not stick with it, and I think Leftwich has, and then we saw, you know, Ronald Jones have a good first game, and then Peyton Barber was the guy that sort of, you know, was the bell cow for him in the second game. So that takes away targets and opportunities and things like that. I guess, you know, the, the good news is, you know, with the exception of a couple throws in the first game and then the 41-yarder to Mike Evans, you know, at Carolina, their passing game just really isn't in sync yet. We've seen Chris Godwin play very very well and have a couple games that were good and you know 100 over 100 yards of course against carolina the other night um but we haven't seen anything from the tight ends i mean oj howard who was one of the emerging you know stars in the nfl isn't really playing that well um you know of course the first game you know he had a catchable pass ball bounce off his hands for an interception he also lost a fumble um you know he wasn't much better on thursday um you know didn't block well he gave up you know a a two-run loss when Joe McCoy beat him off the line of scrimmage. He also had an offensive pass interference penalty and a false start. And, you know, this was a guy whose role was supposed to be expanded when you had Sean Jackson being traded to the Eagles and Humphreys, Adam Humphreys signing with the Titans. Um, But right now he's sitting here with just four catches for 32 yards on only five targets. And so, um, you know, when when Bruce Arians was asked, you know, why isn't, O.J. Howard involved a little bit more. He kind of threw some shade at him. He said, you'd have to ask him. He's, he's got so much talent. He can play a heck of a lot better than he's playing. I know that. So um, we'll see, you know, going forward. And then also, you know, Cameron Bray. Now, you can't really blame him for two touchdowns that were called back because of DeMar Dotson holding penalties in the opener. But he really <clears throat> hasn't been used much even – hasn't even gotten on the field. I mean, he's playing behind Howard. We know that. So that limits his snaps. He went from playing 31 snaps against the Niners, which is like 44% of their offensive snaps, to only 18, only 18 plays against the Panthers, which is 28%. All of that is something to watch going forward, especially since a guy like OJ has a deal that won't expire for three more years, and that includes a club option. And Brait is in the second year of this you know, massive six-year, $40.8 million contract, but none of his money next year, $6 million in salary, is guaranteed. So you wonder just how this is going to go. And I think some of this is because Bruce Arians has never really utilized the tight end very much in his offense, and now he's got two of them, right? So, you know, he he's just still figuring out how to how to utilize them uh, in his offense. And then the other thing that's that's not going very well, um, in my opinion, is that, uh, you know, Perriman has, has been a disappointment so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the guy that has the speed, you know, that was supposed to – on the outside, stretch the field like Deshaun Jackson did. He can still take the top off a of defense. He only has two catches for 10 yards, and he's been targeted nine times in two games. And we mentioned, you know, the deep ball that he let go through his hands in the end zone. I, I know there's an adjustment um, with without Humphreys, obviously, with Brayton not playing as much. And so, you know, Winston is trying to sort of run this offense the way they want it to be run. I think it's almost encouraging that, you know, However, they got here. They're not scoring a lot of points, but they're two and one, or, or two. I'm sorry, one and one. And and it may take a few more weeks, but but there's a lot more that that offense can do, um, you know. And and some of it is OJ's, oh, you know, like Bruce Arians says, he's got to play better. And some of it is just sort of you know the receivers and Jameis figuring out this new offense. So from that standpoint,
0: how I much think the how Bucks much have of have this is to look to. you know in years past. O. J. Howard or Cam Brady or, you know, your running backs would stay in and block more often. Right. And giving more time to the quarterback where Jameis has to be quicker with his decisions because great, you don't have extra point. protection in this offense. But now you've yeah. got five targets out there that can catch the ball. But you've got to be quicker yeah. with your decision making and going through your progressions. Sure. And so that's an adjustment mm-hmm. for him because you don't have that mm-hmm. extra protection you're keeping in most of the time.
1: Well, I think you're exactly right. I think that's a great point. He is trying to get rid of the ball. He's trying to check it down when he can. Um, he has to make quicker decisions. So, um, you know, all of that has to play into why these guys aren't getting as many targets. Now, you know, percentage-wise, it's about the same. I mean, I think OJ was targeted the sixth most of any player last year, and he's he's right there at sixth now. Um, but, but all that has to factor into it, right? And so... Um, you know, as he learns, you know, where, when he can hang on to it, when he can't, you know, where these guys are. And I think Arians has a lot to do with that, too. That they, they have to find out, you know, are we going to go two tight ends, one back? Or are we going to go, you know, three wide receivers and one tight end? Are we going to go empty and go four wide receivers or two line, you know, two, two tight ends and two two wide receivers? I mean, there's all kinds of different sort of trying to find the sweet spot for Jameis, and it all varies on down and distance. So, you know, all of that is important. Defensively, however, they've been great. And I I don't think people expect them to be this good this soon. Now, a little update on linebacker Devin White, which was a a big injury. Um, You know, he came out of that game on Thursday night at Carolina. We haven't really spoken much since then. We did get an update on Friday on Devin White. It turns out he has a grade one MCL, medial collateral ligament sprain, um, which is the lowest grade you can have. And they're thinking, you know, they don't want to rule him out. Uh, And I understand, you know, you you never want to rule a guy out until you have to uh, for Sunday's game next Sunday against the Giants. But realistically, he's probably going to miss some time, right? One, maybe two weeks, maybe more, but not not likely to miss more than two or so. Um, But I guess they feel like this is good news, right? Because he's been through a horrific start. You know, just uh, (laughs) a guy comes down with tonsillitis the first week of his NFL career, uh, was in the hospital on Friday before that game, by the way had something drained, uh, you know, from his tonsils and, you know, was very, very ill, lost like five or 10 pounds and still, still played pretty well. I thought, you know, in the, in the first game against Sam against San Francisco. Um, And then of course, in the first quarter at Carolina, he gets a knee bent up. um, And I think almost, almost to some degree as a precaution this early in the season, you don't want to put him back out there, uh, not close to a hundred percent. So You know, I talked to him after the game. He didn't think it was serious, but they did the MRIs, and they're relieved, quite frankly, that it's not more serious. It's not going to require surgery or anything, and it's a low-grade type knee sprain. So, you know, he's a tough guy. Knowing him, he'll want to come back. They may have to hold him down. The good news is they've got a guy in Kevin Minter that can absolutely play. He played well. He played really well. And, and, you know, Minter was a guy that was in Arizona and actually cut last year by Todd Bowles with the Jets. I mean, he was cut. And he comes back to Tampa where he had been briefly last year, um, stepped right in, did not lose a beat. You know, I think he had like eight tackles or something like that. Uh, And he said, he goes, look, I'm, you know, I've I've been in this situation. I've been in this defense, and I was with a team that went to the NFC championship game, so I know what I'm doing. I I think it was Jason Light. I talked to him trying to think it was Jason or or, uh, Bruce, but one of them told me that he's playing better now than he played when he was with the Cardinals. You know, He's just more confident and you know was just uh you know, played downhill and was just really doing a nice job uh, for them. So in in a worst case scenario situation, you know, where you don't have Devin White, uh, you've got Levante David still and of course Kevin Minter, who is very, very familiar with the defense, can call the signals, can do all those things and, and make plays. So they'll probably weather this storm pretty good, especially since they're playing the New York Giants, although I don't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to face Saquon Barkley, you know, without Devin White. Like that's the kind of guy that Devin White is here for these next four weeks. They've got, you know, Barkley and they've got Todd Gurley and they've got Alvin Kamara and then Christian McCaffrey again. So that's quite the gauntlet of running backs that you know typically Devin White would be responsible for, um, certainly in the run game and sometimes in the pass game. So, you know, that's that's not going to be terrific. But look, the Giants are not a good football team. They're zero and two. Um, Eli is sort of on the on the bricks a little bit. You know, at some point, they're going to turn to Daniel Jones, um, probably sooner than later. You know, Pat Shermer is probably going to lose his job. I think he's the highest odds of a guy to get fired first in the NFL. So this is a wounded New York Giants team coming down here. You can't take them for granted. Um, but given the way the schedule is, this is the last, if you can believe it, the last time that Tampa fans will see their team play a game in Tampa Bay until November 10th. I mean, it still can't get over how long it is. What a stretch that'll be.
0: That's still crazy, this stretch that's coming up. And, and granted, there's a yeah. bye weekend there. And then your London home game, which is where the NFL probably screwed up the schedule and they looked at it and said, oh, yeah, there's a home game there. And it's actually right. London. But w- when the NFL schedule makers come out and say, yeah, we'd like a redo on that,
1: you know you got mm, host. Yeah. Because they don't admit to anything. Especially yeah. something that they draw. wrong. So, um, you know, look, it, it'll be interesting to see – how they move going forward. I, I I did go back and watch the game on tape, for whatever that's worth, my trained eye or untrained eye after all these years is. And a couple of things I found was that this team's playing really, really hard. I mean, they played hard in the past. I thought they played hard for Dirk at times, uh, most of the time, actually, but you can tell, you know, there's sort of a, there's sort of a, you know, spree de corps. I mean, there's, there's really like a, a camaraderie, um, a swarming to the football, um, a confidence sort of a swagger and that's you know that's what you get when you're well prepared. Um, as Tony Dungy always said, you know, if you study for the test, the test taking the test should be easy. That should be the easy part, right? If you put in the work. And these guys certainly look like they are prepared. You know, Vernon Hargraves has made some big plays. I mean, obviously the pick six and then the stop on on McCaffrey. Um, the which, other one by the way so we, we we talked about that
0: earlier and, and we kind of went away from it. But yeah, yeah. You know,
1: Carolina took a lot of a flack.
0: I'll take McCaffrey one-on-one against a defensive back almost any time. Now, Hargrave's made a heck of a play, which is why he, he didn't did. make it. But, mm-hmm. you know, yes, you want Cam, Cam Newton running it a sneak like Tom Brady does, and Cam has often done is is, is a high-percentage play if Cam's healthy, which he doesn't look. So if He's not, not yeah. you got McCaffrey one-on-one on the outside against a DB. I,
1: I don't understand That'd why you... you're so upset about it. I mean, Hargrave's made a great play and stopped him. It yeah, the, only reason, the only reason people second-guess that is for the same reason they always do. It didn't work. Yeah, You know, I mean, I, I, we watched the Philadelphia Eagles run a, a variance of that, and, you know, the Philly special is part of NFL lore. I mean, they won the Super Bowl for that gutty call on fourth down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to, to think the worst thing we can do is try to get the perimeter with Christian McCaffrey, that's never a bad idea. And, and in fact, you know, he had had more success doing that than trying to run up inside within Domican Sue and Vitavea, mm-hmm. I mean they plugged it up pretty tight, and you know those linebackers were scraping, and, and they were free to to come downhill and and you know talking to Minter, talking to um, we even talked about Shaquille Barrett, which you know suddenly looks like Lawrence Taylor, but um, all those guys were able to come downhill and really you know get penetration and and anything inside they were they were cleaning up on, so you know all of that made sense. I know Ron Rivera got boy he got. He got really second guessed in the press conferences and things like that. And he's like, Look, we thought it was a play that was gonna score a touchdown. You know, that's we ran it because we we're trying to win the game. And when, when and McCaffrey made the corner there and, and was heading there, I thought he was gonna score. Oh, I did too. And I wasn't even sure before the measurement, like that he was definitely didn't get the mm-hmm. yard to gain. Like it looked to me like he at least extended the ball and probably got a first down. Now the replays, you know, proved that not to be the case. Um but it was it was a it was an eyelash, you know, it was they were very fortunate, and they were very fortunate in the sense that they bailed out Bruce Arians. And, and there is one fair criticism, I think, of Bruce and his staff in this early part of the season. It's this. Look, he's not calling plays, allegedly, right? He's not the guy on the headset every single time. I mean, he's standing next to Byron which who has the play sheet, and he has a play sheet, and he can certainly, you know, have the last word or tell Byron, you know, or throw it there or whatever, um, cuz he has the same card Byron does but in as much as he's not calling plays the whole idea was for him to be you know more on top of things like managing the game for example or challenging replay for example neither of which he did towards the end of that game the other night which which could have cost him dearly and you know particularly because you know the Carolina Panthers had a 4th and 2 at the three-yard line, right, which is a different animal, uh, until Bruce Arians first called timeout, tried to get a, what they call a, a Kodak uh, of, of the alignment. When anytime time you have a, a game-winning short yardage situation like that and you have timeouts to burn, you typically use one after you see the picture that they give you. And then sometimes the, def- the offense will change the play and sometimes it won't. Um, but he had already called timeout and then Todd Bowles called timeout. And so the back-to-back timeouts resulted in a delay of game. Which absolutely could have cost them that football game. That that moved the ball a yard closer, and now it was fourth and one at the two. So you're a yard closer to the end zone, yard closer to first down, and somehow Hargraves, with the tackle bailed out Bruce Arians, who I don't think has done a really good job. You know, he complained a couple weeks ago that he didn't get the replay looks he wanted on the on the big screen at uh, Raymond James Stadium. I mean, he's hired Larry Rose, who's a former official, to help him. Uh, with what to review and what not to review you know there was a spot that he absolutely could have reviewed uh, and didn't and you know the officials actually moved the ball further uh, down the field you know for Carolina after a bad spot so there's a lot of things that they can clean up in these couple weeks that they've had Um, but they got to be encouraged at least with what's happening around you know around the league and in the NFC and uh, you know and it starts with Breeze I mean Goodness gracious. I mean, you know, father time catches everybody, but he hits his hand um, sort of with Aaron Donald in his face. And he gets the, uh, you know, the thumb injury. Now that, who knows how serious it is, but if you can't pick up a football, he went over there to try to pick one up and couldn't. um, Looked very upset, very mad. Of course, they're playing the Rams, and we know how that ended last year. Uh, You know, so Teddy Bridgewater did the best he could, but he has not played any football in a very, very long time. And also, you know, people don't realize when these backups come off the bench... You're seeing a guy who hasn't practiced all week. You know, that's that's the dirty little secret in the NFL. It's like, well, you know, he's the backup. Surely he knows the game plan. And all. Yeah, he knows it, and he's been out there, and he's done mental reps. But virtually no backups during the week of practice get any reps, like as in zero. You know, yeah, the it's, only it's time is if your uncommon. quarterback's
0: a little dinged up and you're
1: resting the quarterback during the week. But That's exactly right. Yeah, you, and that those are bonus reps and very valuable, but – Um, typically, like with Drew Brees starting that game, I guarantee you, Teddy Bridgewater did not get a rep. He may have run scout team. He may have done some of that stuff. But in their offense, he didn't operate it. And so, you know, he went in. It's been a long time since he's played regular season speed. He looked rusty. You know, he he looked like a guy that hadn't played a lot of football. So he'll be better, you know, a week from now if Brees is out because he'll get, uh, you know, the benefit of, A week of practice and things like this but that's that's a devastating injury uh, to the saints if he misses any time at all and we know cam is struggling and we know that even if the falcons go ahead and hold on and win you know their game there's still three teams tied for one and one in the nfc south with the new york giants coming into tamp in, into raymond james stadium in, in tampa bay um, and certainly a game they could win so things have sort of turned nicely for the box you know you look back now at the 49ers and you go you know what maybe they're a pretty good team after all I mean I don't think Cincinnati's great Steve but no they're not you know like like you said they they won another game and they did it in impressive fashion in the Eastern Eastern time zone they had gone up to Youngstown they never went back to San Francisco after they, they won in Tampa they went to Youngstown for the week and practiced there and then played the Bengals and so now they're 2 and0 um, Buffalo is 2 and0 they they beat the Giants the Giants don't look good. You know they still have Saquon Barkley, who you know was enough to beat these guys a year ago. So it's going to be a a, you know tough task facing him, much like it was with McCaffrey. But again, that defensive front is playing well with Vita Vea, with Indomicon Sue. Will Golsan's playing well, and how about Shaq Barrett? Shaq Barrett, folks, a guy that was you know stuck behind some really good players, you know, and guys like Von Miller in Denver. Comes in here, signs a one-year, $4 million make-it-prove-it-to-me deal. And the dude is like one of the leading, you know, sackers in the NFL now with four. He has three uh, in a quarter against Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers. He also whacked Cam Newton like four other times. I think he got four quarterback hits. Um, So, you know, we went into the year thinking, you know, what's going to happen without Jason Pierre-Paul, who's going to take that, you know, that edge rusher, sort of mantle uh and and pick up those 11 and a half 12 sacks whatever well you got shaq barrett off to the greatest start of his career he's already got four sacks so a pretty good start for him and uh and todd Bowles, i would say all right sticking with football and college football quite a weekend for the state schools and uh, we'll start with the university of florida feel so bad really do feel bad for anybody that sustains these kind of injuries but felipe franks who you know was sort of their everything quarterback um whether you like him or you hate him or or whatnot he's won some games and boy he had just a horrific injury the other night at Kentucky and got bent back back pretty pretty weirdly and ends up with a fractured I think ankle dislocated ankle there was a dislocation as well as as well as a fracture which will absolutely probably knock him out for the season and I, I just think that um, you know, that's a tough thing to watch, anything that's sort of almost catastrophic. You know, you hope it's a situation that he can certainly heal from. And, you know, I've seen guys dislocate their, you know, their ankles and come back and, and play in the National Football League and, and those sort of things. Um, but this was – he poured so much into going into this year and and wanted to prove so many people wrong. And it's just unfortunate now he won't get a chance to do that. You could also see – sort of what he means to his teammates, um, if you saw any of the post game, or even them coming up to him uh, after the injury, including Kyle Trask, which, you know, th- the most brutal part of football to me, uh, Stephen, having covered it all these years is that, and it's universal. I don't care if you're talking about peewee ball, um, if you're talking about middle school, high school, college, the NFL, pro, whatever, um, most players get their jobs at the misfortune of some other person. Um, you know, you're stuck in a, on a depth chart behind somebody and it takes an injury or someone to be ineffective for you to get your chance, and very often it's an injury. Um, and, you know, for a guy like Kyle Trask, who sat there now, you know, for two, three years waiting for his turn, and it wasn't even guaranteed he would get it after Felipe Franks went down. Man, for that kid to come in in that situation, I mean, um, you know that was not meant necessarily for, for what it turned out to be, um, which was a great comeback by the Gators. But he was phenomenal. I mean, he threw the ball well. He had the uh, he wasn't credited with anything when he um, you know pitched it to Lamichael uh, P. Ryan for for what amounted to a rushing touchdown. But he made absolutely made that play, uh, and he leads them to to a, a huge comeback to keep them, you know, three and zero. Uh, and presumably, you know, I don't rank pretty high in the AP uh, top 25. So um, just a, a, an outstanding performance by that guy. I was so impressed in that environment. You know, Kentucky was really, you know, sort of flying around, and, and now Franks is out. And for him to come in there, the kid showed a ton of poise.
0: Yeah, those are the stories you love, are the ones who kind of stick it out and then get a chance. I mean, not that mm-hmm. you want, you know, Franks to get injured, but you know, there's other stories right. throughout sports of that where you know, the players, you know, maybe they should maybe some people thought they should have transferred or quit or done whatever and then they get that shot mm-hmm. and they take advantage of it and you you have to you root for stories like that in sports.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, so they end up with a 29-21 win. Um. Again, I assume they'll stick with Trask as they go forward. But boy, it was a well. Good they've win said for Trask, the but it,
0: they may they may play some other quarterbacks too. It might be uh kind of by could. committee, possibly.
1: Could could um you know they they were prepared to play more than one in that game, and you know and the thing the irony was is that Franks was not having a very good game. He was typical Franks. You know, he makes one good play and a couple mm-hmm. bad ones, and um it they were going to go down to Kentucky. i mean, I'm convinced that. You know, however it occurred, you know, for for them not to flip the switch and look. Sometimes when you lose a player, you become emotional and play harder for him. And your you know your brother's fallen, and you're, you know, you're out there, uh, um, you know, playing better around the backup because you know you have to play better because he's not as good as Felipe Franks perhaps, and that's why he's not starting. But whatever whatever it took, they showed a lot of heart and a lot of courage to come back and uh, win that game because it was a tough game for them to win the way Kentucky was playing. USF, meanwhile, they had a cakewalk over South Carolina State, but they now have a new quarterback who seems to be the man, and that's Jordan McLeod, who had a big day, three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. Um, that you know broke the uh, school record for a first-time starter that, of course, Blake Barnett, Barnett held, and now he's the odd man looking, looking uh, inward. So what'd you think of McLeod? I mean, he seems like a guy that uh, could could spark this team. He's a young player. I mean, you know, he could be he could be their you know, their BJ Daniels or their, you know, somebody that uh, they could have for years to come. Well
0: that's what you hope. I mean, you know, with Kerwin Bell coming in, you expected the offense to be more dynamic than it was. Now, first week you played Wisconsin and you had several drop passes early, which I think really took the mom- any momentum USF could have had away. And then, you know, Jonathan Taylor and company just ran the ball down their throats. At Georgia Tech, you have that mm-hmm. low scoring game. You had a shot to win it, but low scoring game. South Carolina State, the question is, you know, Jordan McLeod's first game, and, and he did very well and looked very good, but it's South Carolina mm-hmm. State. So we'll see right. in two weeks. They have a bye this week, but we'll see in two weeks when SMU comes to town. Right. Just how good he might be at this point. And, and you know, but I, th- I think it gives you hope as a USF fan. I mean, you know, the hard part about USF's schedule is you played two power five schools to start. And so, mm-hmm. while you're 0 two, I, I still think th- I still think they're a good team, and I still think they're going to compete for the AAC. I don't know if they're at you know UCF's caliber and, and what they did to Stanford over the weekend. Stanford's mm-hmm. not the same Stanford we've seen in years past, but it's still a good team. Uh, but I still think UCF's the, the class of the AAC.
1: But USF can compete, especially if Jordan McLeod can continue to improve as a quarterback. Okay, I guess the one thing you could say, now it's a different quarterback, but if you notice, Georgia Tech, a team that beat USF a week ago, they fall to the Citadel, 27-24. to Woof. Uh, so, bad loss for Georgia Tech, but a team that took care of, of USF. So, USF could still have, you know, some tough, uh, tough games ahead of them as a team. But, again, the quarterback, McLeod, makes a difference. Florida State, however, I thought they had Virginia. I thought they were going to win that game, you know? Um... Of course, Jim Levitt is back. We don't know in what role uh, he joins Florida State as a consultant for now. Will he become the defensive coordinator going forward? We don't know exactly how all that's uh, going to work out. But uh, I guess you'd say they played better, but then they didn't get the win in an ACC game.
0: Well, I mean, you know, look, Virginia's a better team than, say, Louisiana Monroe, who they had to oh, sure. you know, get a missed extra point in overtime for, to win. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they played a much better team in Virginia. You know, you still you still want to see more. It just there's there's still too much talent on Florida State to play as bad as they are right now. I don't think they're oh, overly agree. talented team, but the cupboard's not completely bare. It's not you know I, they it's the little things that you just that frustrate you with it. and Matt Baker's detailed it many times of you're still seeing. Bad penalties and just mm-hmm. the mental part of it that that's not working right now at Florida State. I mean, you know, look when they go up against a Clemson, yes, Clemson's got much more talent than them. You don't expect them to win those games, but yeah, you know, it, it's the other games that you know you shouldn't be going to overtime with Louisiana Monroe. No, there's too much talent to do that on that team. And and are they progressing fast enough under Willie Taggart? I don't know. I mean, you got four year olds now selling lemonade in Tallahassee. To raise money to buy out Willie Taggart's contract, if you saw that story coming out of Tallahassee today, but it's just
1: wrong. Eighteen million dollars worth of lemonade—you can get them. Look, we got lemons; we got to make lemonade out of what we got. So, um, I think it was a good move by him hiring Jim Leavitt, though. And again, I know nothing about their current defensive coordinator. I don't know if he's the reason why they're losing. It seems deeper than that to me. But you know what? Um, Jim's a hell of a coach, and he's Uh a good guy to have around the program. He's got a lot of energy. Uh, he loves coaching. He loves the kids that he coaches. He's very invested uh, wherever he's been, you know, whether it's at USF or Colorado or Oregon. Uh, of course, this is, you know, his another stint with Willie Taggart. They were together uh, in Oregon. So I think it was a good move um, by Willie to get him. Now, whether that, you know, again, what how much influence he has on the game plan or the day-to-day, he's just gotten there. Um, so that remains to be seen, whether, you know, he's the – Defensive coordinator in waiting, or just a guy that's, you know, biding his time as a consultant. But uh, you're right. There's probably some boosters looking hard to see if they got any money under their, you know, their sofa couch uh, to buy out Willie Taggart right now because that $18 million uh, is a lot of money, but it, you know, it might be well spent if things continue to go the way they're going. But again, I, I you know, losing to at least a Power Five school that you should be better than in Virginia on the road. Uh, it's going to happen, uh, even in even in good years. They just need to find a way to stack some, you know, stack some wins together. UCF, you mentioned, boy, uh, no problem with Stanford, right? Speaking of big programs and big name programs, uh, UCF looks like a legit top ten team to me.
0: Yeah, well, they're so fast;
1: they have so much
0: speed mm-hmm. on that team, um, and it's it's such a game changer for most of the teams that they play. And Stanford's never been a fast team anyway. I mean, that's not their style right. of play. And their speed right. just dominated
1: Stanford. It did, it absolutely did. We've got some great games in college football coming up next week. Of course, Wisconsin's playing your Michigan Wolverines. That could be a tough game for Michigan at at uh, yeah. Wisconsin's Camp Ramble, favored
0: right? by I think three or three and a half points. So,
1: yeah, their defense hasn't allowed very many, if any, points at this point.
0: Georgia Notre Dame is the big game this week in Athens, yeah. and and I'm sure you watched the Georgia game and the pink out that they did. I did. That was was, was was pretty cool. That's pretty cool.
1: Just a fantastic story. If you don't have a chance, go on ESPN.com. I don't know. I forget the name of the writer, but um, if you can read about Arkansas, and I know I talk a lot about Arkansas State sometimes, and and, you know, playfully so because it's not a obviously not a Power Five program, but a good program, um, and one that is often you know doing the million dollar massacre as they did in Georgia. Not afraid to schedule big teams. You know they they play they played everybody. Um but uh, their coach is Blake Anderson who uh, was a guy that uh, like a lot of coaches you know came up through a lot of um, mid major schools and was an offensive coordinator for a long time and you know worked hundreds of hours a week and you know just just was all football and he was you know married to uh uh to a woman for i don't know twenty twenty five years or so uh and um you know they they were very close very religious and um, you know, she got to one point where, you know, he was, I think at middle Tennessee or someplace. And she was just like, look, we're, I'm, we're moving with the, I'm moving with the kids back to Texas. Cause you're never here. You know, you, you get into the football season and you, you spend the night in the, you know, at, at the facility and you don't see your kids, you don't get home in time before they go to bed. And, um, you know, there's no point in us being here after this is after several moves in this college career. Um, and so he took some, he took, he stepped away from coaching for a while, you know, and he, um, got to get re uh reacquainted with his family and and he vowed that if he ever came back to coaching again he would do it a different way and he had certain demands of of various programs that hired him as their coordinator and he always made time after that and and you know she loved football she loved the platform it gave him um but they had to work that part of it out uh and then of course um she a couple years ago um got breast cancer which she seemed to have beaten and um You know, a very lively woman. Uh, They called her Mama Wendy, and, you know, was uh, any program that they were at. She was beloved by the players and everybody else. Uh, And then the cancer came back. And uh, I think it was a week or 10 days before the season opener, um, uh, she passed. And the story is is, it's a hard story to read because it it really details the suffering um, that she went through, especially in the final days. Um, So, to make a long story short, uh, Arkansas State. Uh, last week was playing at UNLV, and Blake Anderson, who had taken a leave, and, of course, Wendy had died, um, and he surprised his team by showing up, you know, uh, either the night before or day of the game, whatever, uh, and, and, you know, uh, really inspired them uh, to a win at UNLV. And then, of course, they were going to Georgia. And a neat thing, I think Scott Van Pelt mentioned or challenged Georgia fans to do this. uh, It kind of started virally online. Yeah, it was and, and then, and because... And then uh, Van Pelt mentioned it. He mentioned it, and, and uh, you know, it, it was because... Since pink is the color of you know, breast cancer awareness and this sort of thing, um, the Georgia fans got together and they decided, you know, we're going to wear pink for Wendy. And uh, and it was a pink out. And it was just an unbelievable gesture by, uh, by the Georgia fans. Now, you know, on the field, of course, things went as you would expect, perhaps. I think it was 55 to nothing or something. Georgia just absolutely... Uh, destroyed them. But, you know, the good part of, of, of human beings and sport in general and uh, the family, you know, sort of atmosphere and the support uh, that a completely different, you know, fan base had nothing to do with Arkansas State. They were just merely an opponent. And yet they they put their hearts out, you know, for Blake Anderson and, and read the story and appreciated sort of what he must be going through. And he was overwhelmed by that. He was, you know, completely moved by um you know that gesture and it was really something it was the coolest story in college football in my opinion over the weekend not because it involved Arkansas State just because the human side of things um and just uh how how great that was for Georgia fan to observe that form so that that was a neat thing I'm glad you mentioned it all right finally uh Steve I didn't get to see much of the Tampa Bay Rays they took two out of three over the Angels there in uh, Anaheim and uh this this thing is going to go back and forth. I think, I, I, I my personal belief has been for a while. Even though the Rays had the first wild card, what like less than a couple of days ago, I guess uh, they were out. They're, they're currently, as we do this podcast, a game and a half uh, behind Oakland. It just seems to me like the Oakland A's are going to win this thing. It just seems to me like they're going to get the first wild card. They don't lose. Of course, a lot of people can say that about the Rays too. I'm sure Boston has said that, and Cleveland has said that a bunch of times because the Rays are playing very very well overall. Um, but boy, it, it's going to be. It, it just seems so hard to try to take down the A's right now. They're running out of time to do it. Well, the A's don't um, play a news. team with a with a 500 record the rest of the season. Yeah, and and you know the Rays have the Yankees. They've got Boston and the Dodgers. Uh, they got two for the time, Dodgers and, starting tomorrow. and the Dodgers. Yeah, so they'll they'll have to play really really well against some very good baseball teams. Now you can say, well, what do the Yankees have to play for? Who are they going to play? Resting people? How how uh, you know how gritty are they going to be? Um, but these are not easy teams to beat. Um, I guess the good news is, you know, Tyler Glass now is back throwing well. Blake Snell is going to pitch against the Dodgers on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Um, Charlie Morton didn't have his best outing but sort of hung on and uh, was able to post the win the other night uh, against the Angels. So, uh, you know, they'll have to continue to be resourceful and get, you know, big hits like they did from Travis Darno with a three-run homer the other night Mm -hmm. uh, to break up a a scoreless tie. Austin Meadows now over 30
0: home runs. It is 31st
1: on Sunday. One of the greatest trades in baseball history, man. It will go down. There's no question to me. Even um, if it was straight up Meadows for Archer, you might say that. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention Glass. Now, you don't know what their careers will ultimately be.
0: And then you have Shane Boz in the minors, who's a pretty uh, highly thought of prospect. That's a couple years away, but he's highly thought of.
1: Uh, Just not a good deal for the Pirates, to say the very least. And really, you know, those three guys playing major roles, I mean, had – Obviously, had Glasnow stayed healthy after being pitcher of the month in April, who knows what would have happened with the Rays and how. As it is, they may win 95 or 90, even 97 games. Who knows, depending on how they finish up here. But a terrific season for them. You know, it's going to be uh, – John Romano wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times. It's going to be a crime. One of these teams isn't going to make it. You know, either the A's, the, the, the uh, Indians, or the Rays, one of them are going to win 94, 95 games and not get into the wild card. And it's going to be cruel those teams whichever team that is it's left out Um, i think the a's are
0: going to make it i think it's going to come down to the rays and the indians i agree and and the indians bullpen right now is is a little beat up um they're Mm kind of suspect in the back end of their in the bullpen brad hands out um so you know if the Rays can continue to get some timely hitting like they have for the most part you know there's look if they take care of their business they should be fine now the hard part is The next eight games, you got two against the Dodgers, you got three against the Yankees, and four against the Red Sox. So that's tough. um, You know, so that actually what that's nine games, I guess it is. But Mm -hmm. so, I mean, that's going to be tough. Then you finish in Toronto, but Boston by then should be eliminated. They're tragic numbers four to be eliminated from the playoffs. So maybe Mm -hmm. they've got nothing to play for there. The Yankees are playing for the top seed against the Astros, but at the same time, they're in the playoffs and, and that part's clinched. So. You know, but the rate. Right, look, the races have to come out and and take care of their business. They got. They have to get good pitching
1: and and get the timely hitting like they they have been all year. Now, when and you get in, and they've been resilient. They found ways to do that. So. They can see the finish line at least. They have a magic number and and they can aim for it. So we'll see what happens there. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Lightning. You were at the Fan Fest on Sunday. They begin their preseason on Tuesday. Yep. Uh, we're going to have Diana Neros with us tomorrow. Uh, the writer, uh, beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times, who covers the Lightning.
0: Yeah, it was a big turnout at Fan Fest. Uh, fans all excited. Uh, I think ready to kind of you know get that long off season over with. I mean, you know, yeah. no one is expecting the off season to be as long as it was this year. And I think, you know, if you're a hockey fan, you're ready for hockey to begin. So preseason will begin uh, tomorrow night at Amelie Arena, and then the regular season is two weeks from Thursday.
1: Problem is they got no Braden Point. So what's going to happen with him at this
0: point? Well, some of the restricted free agents have started to sign now. Boston signed Charlie McAvoy to a three-year bridge deal on uh, Sunday. Mitch Marner was signed uh, Friday, I believe it was. Maybe it was Saturday, to a six-year big-money contract with Toronto. Um Mm -hmm. Word is, at least the reports coming out of some of the guys in hockey are, you know, Braden Point and Lightning aren't close on a deal. You know, Braden seems to want more than the, obviously the, the Lightning are willing to give up at this point. So it'll be interesting how long this goes on. Um, I believe he can sit out all the way till sometime in December and come back. And after that, then he can't come back this year. So um, we'll see. I mean, you know, you hope that it gets settled before opening night which is, like I said, two weeks from Thursday, but, you know, you never know.
1: All right, so the Lightning will continue their practicing. As I mentioned, we'll have Diana Neros with us tomorrow. Uh, the Rays are off today. They head, uh, or stay in Los Angeles to go play the Dodgers beginning a series on Tuesday night. The Bucks are off today as well. Uh, they will resume practice on Tuesday and then go straight through the week in preparation uh, for their game on Sunday against the New York Giants. So it was a busy weekend. Of course, in sports, going all the way back to Thursday night's NFL game between the Bucks and the Carolina Panthers. And now we've had Sunday football, college football, uh, busy weekend. We appreciate you guys listening to us each and every week, Monday through Friday, we are here uh, on Sports Day Tampa Bay. So for Steve Verstek, I'm Rick Stroud the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.